Well, if you will, get, get your Bible and look, look at the book of Micah. Micah chapter number 6. Last week we began uh, just working through this idea of justice. Now, the, the Bible, the world has said a lot about justice, uh, but God's Word also deals with justice. And last time we looked at the biblical understanding of justice, and we began at the very end of that message to look at uh, some of these uh, these common uh, social justice causes that have arisen in the last couple of uh, years. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to finish that aspect, and then we're going to look at the biblical practice of justice. So, now obviously, we, we saw that God commands His people to show justice, and, and, and truly, Micah 6, 8, as we saw that, He says, He has showed the old man what is good, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And we recognize that God calls us then to do justly. And, and we're going to obviously finish these ideas of these uh, forms of commonly labeled social justices. But as we come full circle, circle on this topic, we want to ask this question. How can Christians promote justice in this world? In other words, if social justice cannot provide the answer for our world's needs, if doing justly is not just about condoning the world's needs, if doing justly is not just about condoning ungodly lifestyles, advancing uh, victimization mentality, or even redistributing redistributing wealth, then the question is, how do we bring justice to this world? And so... Let's look at Micah 6, 1 through 8 once again. We're going to bring some context back into this, uh, this thought and this idea here. In verse number 1, he says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein, wherein have I wearied thee, testify against me? For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of uh, servants, and I sent, thee, uh, sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord." Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what did the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? Let's bow together in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the reading of the Word tonight as we get into Micah 6, 8, and we see the, the call that we have to practice the biblical concept of justice in this world. And Lord, no greater thing that we can do than be able to demonstrate and show that through sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so help us, Lord, as Christians today, as, uh, just, uh, just as the heat is warmed up, may our love for you, our fervency for sharing the gospel be warmed and heated. And Lord, may this world know that Jesus is alive because we have chosen chosen to bear witness of such a great, uh, wonderful God and Savior. And so, God, I pray that you would just help us, Lord, uh, as we go through this study, Lord, that we would grasp and understand all that you have for us, Lord, here tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we look at Micah 6, 1 through 8, 
These words are written and spoken when the nation of Judah had turned away from God and the prophet Isaiah said that truth had fallen in the streets. Remember Isaiah 59, 14 through 15 says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And so we saw this last time, and during this time period, uh, the prophet Micah cries to the people to turn back to God, and he calls them to remember the goodness of God to them and to have appropriate response to that goodness. And then we have in verse number 8, he laid out three simple instructions uh, for the ways that God wanted them to, re, uh, to relate to him. He says, one, do justly, secondly, love mercy, and finally, to walk humbly. And last week, we looked primarily at that first part, that do justly part, and we're going to finish up some thoughts uh, from that social justice idea uh, here this, this evening as we look at CRT and some other things that are going on in the world around us, so we have a better biblical understanding of some of these concepts. But as we do so, we're also, we want to start with a biblical framework to justice noting three important truths. We mentioned these last time in greater detail, but I want to just frame these in your mind as a recap from last week. First one is God is the habitation of justice. There's a slide there somewhere for this, Brian. Uh, the next one maybe. God is the habitation of justice, and justice is essential to His nature. Remember this uh, as we see this uh, and we go forward concerning this. And uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 7 reminds us that, uh, that uh, God is that habitation of justice. Secondly, we saw God desires for us as His people to exhibit justice in the way that uh, we live our lives. And so every day God wants us to demonstrate that. But thirdly, we see each of us is directly responsible to God for the way we live and the actions that we do. And so living out biblical justice in our corrupt society then is important in the eyes of God because we will answer to Him first. And so remember, we're all individually accountable to God. So it's important for us then to lay this biblical uh, groundwork and really to clearly define justice in order to study it effectively tonight. And so what is biblical justice? It is the faithful application of the law of God. And so unlike uh, social justice, biblical justice then does not focus on politically motivated headlines, okay? but on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on the power of God to transform lives. And that is why it is so vital for us as Christians to engage in biblical justice tonight. Now, before we go forward, I want to just go backward a little bit, uh, if I can, because it's that last point we started last time uh, in that, that message. I want to just give a quick recap regarding the secular counterfeits to biblical justice. Now, last time we, we began with this secularized social justice, we looked at BLM and the fallacies that are there. We see that this type of idea often results in rioting and looting and violent uh, demonstration of anger because you are perpetually a victim and you can never overcome uh, uh, as a result uh, because of the, the system. So we have to burn it all down and rebuild it. We have to, quote unquote, build back better if I can. And so, since experiencing injustice within the framework of this view happens only to people in minority, minority groups, everyone who is not in a particular minority group then is assumed to be a perpetuator of the injustice. In other words, what's commonly taught today, as we'll learn about in CRT in just a minute, is that because you are white, you are inherently racist. Because of your skin color, then, you are automatically racist. Now, listen, I, I don't think that that's good one way or the other to be able to look at someone from the outside and be able to judge the matters of the heart. 
God obviously is the one that knows the heart. We cannot judge the heart. And so God warns us about that. And God tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 12, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over, uh, over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. And so we recognize the ground is level at the cross. And God is no respecter of persons. Matter of fact, this idea of social justice has its stems, if I, if I remind you, in Marxism and the BLM. Obviously, those, co those founders uh, were Marxists themselves, as I shared much uh, evidence with you from, uh, about that from last week. But I want to finally just mention these two last things as we, uh, as we finish up with this idea of this secularization, uh, secular counterfeits to biblical justice. The next one is critical race theory. Now, this has been huge in the news lately. Uh, if you, uh, matter of fact, one of the reasons uh, that uh, we had some conservatives elected to our local school board was because of CRT has made such big headlines. And we uh, have become much more engaged as a result in our community because we recognize that there is uh, a danger with CRT. Now, you may be sitting there tonight and thinking, Pastor, I have no idea what you're even talking about. I live in a bubble and I have no idea what's going on around me. Well, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what's being introduced into our schools, into, uh, into some of the, the large corporations, uh, some of the government entities uh, that's being taught and indoctrinated uh, into people. Because intertwined within social justice ideology is this framework of this thought process called critical race theory. And this theory views the development of Western culture as a result of systems of white power and racism. In other words, proponents of CRT believe that racism is embedded in Western civilization through some systemic racism and unconscious bias. This goes back again to what I mentioned a while ago regarding some of the other things that we see going on. So many corporations or schools are already in, incorporating this in their uh, teacher, teaching. And basically, it's assumptions uh, in the form of diversity and sensitivity trading. Any of those things uh, oftentimes includes this idea of CRT. A Wall Street Journal article described the type of teaching governmental employees received in their CRT training. And they, they said, at the Department of Homeland Security, diversity trainers held a session on microaggressions. The trainers insisted that statements... Uh, such as, America is the land of opportunity, and uh, statements as, everybody can succeed in this society if they work hard enough, and other sa statements like, I believe uh, the most qualified person should get the job, are all racist and harmful. Now, obviously, we, we laugh at the, this, and we, we recognize that racism is an, ungodly, is an ugly sin, and uh, it's censored in Scripture. Matter of fact, James 2, 8 and 9 says, If you fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well, but if you have respect of persons, ye commit sin. And so God guards us and says, listen, we ought not to be racist in any way, and we ought to love and care for our neighbors, regardless of who they are or their background or what they believe um, or any other variables. And we should endeavor to have a welcoming spirit toward anybody and everybody. But we believe that since we are all sinners and all come to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, the ground is level at the cross. We're all in the same boat without Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Listen, there was a wall between us and God. We needed that one person to come and to, uh, to level that playing field so that we can enter into the presence of God. And Galatians 3.18 says, For if the inheritance of, uh, be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. 
So an, an honest view of history reveals racism is really in every corner of the globe. It doesn't matter uh, what uh, country or what color or any of those things. In our own country, we saw racism was practiced and participated in through slavery. Yes, the Jim Crow laws that were enacted after uh, the Civil War. And there's certainly racism that is, uh, that is uh, alive as well today. Uh, and, um, and, but let me just say, all of those things are wrong. The Bible teaches they're wrong, and God teaches that all of us are, uh, are He is no respecter of persons. He didn't look on me because, uh, because of my upbringing or my family uh, any, or any more fondly than He does anyone else, nor anyone else more than He does me. And so we have a God who says, I am no respecter of persons. He loves all people equally. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Not just some people, but the whole world. But saying that racism is wrong is not the same thing as saying CRT is right. To say, CR, uh, to say as CRT advocates uh, say is that all white people have some level of unconscious bias against all people of color is another form of racism. In reality, no one has a secret knowledge of another person's heart. Amen? Uh, I can't know your heart, you can't know me, but God does. So no human being of any color or ethnicity should ever feel guilt because of how God made you. Uh, so God created you exactly as you are, and He carefully uh, weaving into your DNA the physical aspects of your being. God says in Psalms 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and thy soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in my, thy book all my members were written, which in con, uh, con, uh, continuance were fashioned when uh, as yet there was none of them. Where there have been racial or ethnic divisions, God desires reconciliation and restoration, not perpetual blame, not this perpetual separation. And what we've seen in the last few years is a dividing once again of our nation between uh, skin color. And I tell you, this is, it's a travesty to see what's going on in our nation today. And this is part of the uh, reality of a biblical local church is that as Paul described to the church of Colossae in Colossians 3, 10 and through 12, he says, And you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. So Paul went on to exhort them to exercise forgiveness and charity in the relationships. In verse 13, he says, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Quite honestly, there is no room for this kind of language in a CRT view. They, they don't see any kind of reconciliation. You are always in the wrong because of uh, your skin color. You're always in the right because of your, you're always a victim because of your skin color. That's their view. So CRT diverts attention then away from the real problem that we are all sinners. Uh, they have no basis in uh, the fact that we're sinners or that there is a God or that uh, God has made a way for us to be reconciled. So instead of seeing the sin of racism as being inherent to our sinful nature, they see it as being inherent to a particular skin color. 
And so this denies the necessity that availability of the blood of Jesus then to cover our sin and regenerate our hearts. Listen, that's the problem with CRT. It is a shallow answer with destructive results uh, for the real problem of this sin. The real answer that we have is that, uh, that the blood of Jesus Christ can regenerate a heart. He can change a life. Amen? And I'm thankful that Jesus Christ came, that He offers forgiveness, He offers healing, and He offers restoration in Him. And we recognize that biblical justice then takes place when Christians, filled by the love of Christ, see others as God sees them and serves others as God commands. That's the real answer here. But then there's this other issue. So we have uh, this secular uh, social justice and we have critical race theory. But then there's a liberal religious social justice. Uh, liberal religious social justice. I can't even say that fast. I'd say it real slow and intentional. But this is the child of a 20th century social gospel movement. And many of you are probably more familiar with this uh, as we go back in a little bit of error because this modern religious social justice movement insists that engaging in acts of social justice is a requirement for preaching the gospel. In other words, uh, some churches go far as to say you can't be really saved unless you uh, feed the homeless or you help uh, in some other thing. But listen, serving others does not earn our salvation and nor are such acts of service part of the gospel. And to add anything to the gospel then is to destroy the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15, we know then the gospel is centered solely on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verses 3 and 4 it says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, how that He was buried, and then He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So we cannot inject extra uh, issues or ideas into the gospel of Christ because when we do, we become heretics. In fact, the apostle Paul warned the believers in Galatia against this very thing. He says in Galatians 1.8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so when someone says in effect, Jesus' sacrifice is good, but you have to be involved in social justice to earn your way to heaven, that is what the Bible calls another gospel. And so being service-minded is good. It is, in fact, it's even biblical. But man, uh, this making service the gospel is heretical. Okay? And so we must understand that I don't serve because I'm saved. Oh, excuse me. I don't serve to get salvation. I serve others because of salvation that's already happened in my heart. And so... The result then of this religious social justice is that theologically liberal, liberal churches in America, especially with its socialist leanings, have begun to fight against the righteousness of Christ and the plain truth of God's Word. There are churches in Springfield, Missouri uh, that are uh, doing exactly what we're talking about. They insist that if you're going to uh, be able to say you're a Christian, then you have to fight for this cause, and you have to uh, fly this rainbow flag, and you have to do these things. And listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what saves today when we put our faith in Him. Nothing else saves. And, and if we add anything to it, it is no longer the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of man. And so there is really the potential for corrupting the gospel 
But uh, we also see that these churches change their messages in order to play the, place the world. And so just as we've seen over the last 20 years, uh, the social justice movement has changed and ebbs and flows and, and they latch onto uh, the LGBT movement and then they latch onto uh, this other movement over here, BLM, and whatever's popular in the moment. Uh, this, the churches that latch onto this must also ebb and flow with the culture. But listen, God didn't call us to uh, be culturally sensitive. He called us to be sensitive to the gospel to be sensitive to the Word of God and to say, listen, I want this to be, uh, to be preached from the pulpits of America today. He says, listen, I don't want the culture to be the gauge for what is offensive or helpful. Listen, we just must continue to preach the gospel. That's what it's all about. And so this is, and, and, and let me just say, this is a byproduct of the seeker-sensitive movement. Listen, I don't want to be seeker-sensitive. I want to be savior-sensitive. What does the Bible say? What does God want for us at Hillside Baptist Church? What does God want for us in our life? And then let's do that. And that's, all that's, that's what's really important. And because it's God that builds the house, it's not me. So an example of how liberal social justice movement uh, churches compromise the truth, consider this group called Faithful America. Their website explains this, and I quote, We are the largest online community of Christians putting faith into action for social justice. And so this is their claim uh, of successes on their website. Uh, number one, they fought back against Hobby Lobby. Number two, they convinced Google to drop World Vision. They forced MSNBC to drop the Family Research Council. By the way, Family Research Council, Council is a tremendous resource. would highly recommend it. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a great, uh, great thing to be plugged into. They helped students win justice for the fired principal. And this was a vice principal who was fired from a Catholic high school because he was gay. Uh, they defended an unjustly defrocked pastor. This was a Methodist pastor who, against the orders of his denomination, officiated a same-sex wedding for his son. Listen, you, you hear what's going on? This is a purportedly Christian organization taking unbiblical causes and fighting against churches, against Christians, against the Word of God, all in the name of quote-unquote social justice. The greatest concern with the three methods of counterfeit justice is that compassionate Christians concerned about in, injustice oftentimes allow themselves to be pulled into this worldly philosophies that point people away from Christ rather than toward Christ. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware! Be, be, uh, open your eyes, see what, what the Word of God, see what's going on around you. He says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. And so church, we must be aware. You know, there's times where I'm watching something or I'm looking at the news or, or something's going on and, and, and everyone says, oh, you have to do this. And, 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 I, and there's something, the, the Spirit of God speaks to my spirit and says, this is wrong. And maybe at the moment I can't put book, chapter, verse with it, but all I know is the, the, the Spirit of God speaks to my heart and says, this is wrong. Do not follow this. And so God says, beware, be, especially if, uh, if everything in the world says, oh, this is a good thing. Part of me just says, if they say it's a good thing, I probably should be against it. Amen. <laughs> Maybe that's my old uh, Baptist upbringing. I don't know. But when Christians begin to see the world through the philosophies that deny the sinful heart of man and the remedy of the gospel, they lose passion to preach the gospel. Let's forget that man's primary need, never forget, that man's primary need is that we are a sinner in need of a savior, savior. 
That's the main need for this world today. Now, that is, that is left over from last week, so all that's just catch you up to tonight's lesson. So we'll begin tonight's lesson, uh, and I'll have just a few minutes to do so. But let me just share with you, we're going we're gonna to be very practical tonight. So I know justice and the concept of justice can seem a little bit of an enigma, uh, but I want to just be very, very simple in our practical application this, this evening as we do this, because in the very same verse where God tells us to do justly, He gives two more important instructions uh, in order to advance justice. And He calls us first off to love mercy. And that's where we're going to look at tonight, love, mercy. Now, Brother Brian put, brings us back to our notes. All right, good. I got a, uh, took a little hiatus from the notes and the PowerPoint, so I want to make sure we were together there. So uh, Psalm 103 and verse number 8, we're going to be there in just a minute. A minute. But think about the merciful ways in which God is, displays His justice. Will you do that just for a moment? If we looked at the passage from last week, we see that God's justice is used to deliver uh, the poor, help the oppressed. We see that God's justice was there to care for the orphaned. And also we see it's carried out through His mercy. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. You know, we often cry out for justice in our world, and, but sometimes we really, what we really want is mercy. There was a young lady who hired a photographer to come and take some uh, pictures of her, and, and she got the pictures back, and, and she was just absolutely livid when she saw the pictures. And she called the photographer and she said, Sir, this is not right. You've done me an injustice. Well, the photographer calmly responded and said, Ma'am, you don't need justice. You need mercy. Man, that's, that's pretty rough. I hope I never hear that from a photographer. But listen, once we understand what justice is, oftentimes we don't always want justice. Instead, what we want is mercy. And God, in His love, gives us, often gives us mercy instead of justice. Aren't you thankful for that? I know what I deserve. I know where I should be headed, but I know because of God's mercy and His grace, I'm headed to heaven. There's an incredible story that tells of a group of German students who volunteered to go to England after World War II had ended. And as they went to England, they had this desire just to help bridge the rift that had grown between the two nations. And so they planned to help restore an English cathedral that had been uh, really uh, damaged very greatly by the German bombing uh, during the Blitz. And, and so one of the items they worked on the most and the hardest was an image of Jesus Christ. And he had his arms spread wide uh, and had an inscription that said, Come unto me. Well, they were able to repair most of the damage, but they had a really a lot of difficulty reshaping and making of these hands. And so after they talked it over with the officials, they decided to leave the hands off the statue and just leave him there with his arms open and no hands on it. And instead of come unto me, the inscription was changed to Christ has no hands but ours. How do we demonstrate mercy? First off, we stand with mercy. God calls for us, for us as his people to stand with mercy, to use mercy uh, as we exercise judgment then. So we need to know then God's moral law and stand by the principles of His Word, but we also must do this with love and mercy, right? And, and this way we see God's justice is carried out through one righteous living. Uh, in this way, His mercy and justice directly impact the lives of those around us. But as we think about this, though, Christian churches should be places where all people, whether children or adults, who've experienced abuse or betrayal can go and hear that God loves them and that Jesus died for them. The whole world needs to hear the message that Jesus died for them. I, that, and that is, that's where we see the mercy of God uh, in, in the Scriptures when Christ reached out His, ha his hands and allowed them to put the, the nails in His hands and He cried out from the cross, It is finished. 
Man, what an incredible picture of God's mercy. And so there's no way to overestimate the healing that comes to a shattered heart uh, when someone who has been made to feel uh, worthless through abuse learns of that steadfast love of God and he receives the gift of salvation. He often he'll find compassion and encouragement from brothers and, and sisters in Christ. I tell you, the church body can be an incredible place of healing. Oftentimes, I, I look back over our history, and as uh, Chris and I will have been uh, at Hillside for 21 years this, this uh, year, I look back and I think over the years, God's allowed us to have a lot of different people come through the doors of Hillside. Some people were people who were hurt greatly uh, in, in other places. And through along the way, we saw them healed because of the, the, the mercy and the love and the compassion that was shown to them in their family here in this church. That's part of what the body of Christ is here for. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. He said, he said, let us bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He, said, he didn't say, listen, uh, stick your finger out at them and tell them how terrible a sinner they are. Oftentimes what people need is the people of Christ come along beside them and say, let me bear this with you. Let me walk with you through this. So standing with mercy means we stand for uh, justice amidst the ravages of sin in society. Think of families who have been torn apart by substance abuse or children who've been devastated by physical or even sexual abuse. Children in these homes need people who will give them a Christ-like love. When we go out into the communities and we fill up our vans with children, we don't oftentimes know the background of those children. Uh, we don't, you don't always know uh, what it was like Saturday night where mom and dad had a party and somebody was messing with them and during that party. We don't know what's going on, but when they come to Christ, this can be a safe place for them. This can be a place where they can know what it is to have mercy, to know what it is to feel loved and, and, and to find Christ through your example. I tell you what, that, that is one of the best things about a church family. In our previous message last week, we, the word racism is often, often tossed around uh, in different ways. There is real racism, and anytime it takes place, we should be willing to stand against it. We stand against those uh, who discriminate against others. And, you know, for us in our home, we want to make sure that I teach my children that every person has value. Every person is equal in the eyes of God. No one is better or than anyone else. Listen, one of the things that I want to fight against is because my children are pastor's kids. I don't want them to, to be, uh, feel entitled because of uh, the fact that their dad's a pastor. I want them to see, listen, we are all in need of a Savior. We are all, uh, just like anybody else, we are all... all uh, I remember as a kid, my pastor, I think uh, growing up, Gary Webster, said, but by the grace of God, there go I. And that has always remained in my head. Lord, but by the grace of God, that could be me. But by the grace of God, I, I could have been raised in that home. I could have been raised in that country. I could have been uh, raised in that dire situation. But by God's grace, by His mercy, God allowed me to be raised in a Christian home with loving parents. And so I want to make sure that my children then understand that every life has value. So standing with mercy also includes standing for the life of the unborn. Listen, we are oftentimes the voice for those who cannot speak for themselves because they're still in the womb. But it also includes loving the mother who's considering an abortion or maybe the mother who's already had an abortion or maybe even the abortion worker. Listen, they all need to see the mercy and the love of Christ and the forgiveness that can be found at the cross. Listen, none of us are better. I, you know, we've never walked through that road. I don't know what it's like to walk into that abortion clinic with the thoughts of, of murder on my mind, but this is what I know. Is there is healing with Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness there, and God offers it freely for all who will receive it. 
Standing with mercy means caring for people struggling with drug addictions, reaching out to a teenager who is experimenting with drugs and showing them the mercy of God. Standing with mercy involves ministering to the hungry, the homeless, the abandoned child, the single parent, those going through difficulties and hardships. Ezekiel 18, we're going to read verses 5, 7, and 9, but he says this, But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, and hath spoiled none by violence, and hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with the garment, and hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgments to, do, to deal truly, he is just. And he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. Quite honestly, the injustices of this world are many. Evil is so prevalent today, isn't it? More than ever we could ever touch on in just one message. But the mercy of God. The mercy of God shines brightly through Christians who are willing to love mercy and to mercifully do justly in the face of evil. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And he says, be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And so let us love mercy. We do so also by standing with the gospel. Many people, as people have received great mercy of God, we also must in turn show mercy to others who are without Christ. Think about this. This whole world is in need of a Savior. And, and I'm reminded of that more and more every day. Uh, yesterday we were uh, on our way back uh, from Oklahoma City. And, and as I was traveling through, we stopped in and had a little bite of lunch with some family that lives just outside of OKC. And as we were there, uh, my daughter, she said, Dad, do you have any tracks? I said, yeah, I've got some in my pocket. She said, let's go up there and give one to that lady who checked us out. And I said, all right, let's go up there. And so we went up there and I asked her, I said, Anna, do you want to talk to you? You want me to talk to her? And she said, I, I want to talk to her. I said, okay, all right, sounds good. And so I gave her the little track that she had picked out, and we gave it to the little lady there. Her name was Lisa. And as we were talking to Lisa, uh, we learned that she was raised in a little girl's, uh, in a girl's home down in Mississippi and that she'd accepted Jesus as her Savior. I tell you what, what a great way to show mercy to people that we don't know is by sharing the gospel of Christ. A biblical Christian always lifts up Christ in the gospel as the equalizer of injustice. Man, you've gone through a difficult... Listen, He's the restorer of every heart. He was the equalizer of all that's done wrong. And so God in His justice must judge sin, but God in His mercy took upon human flesh as He came to this earth to pay the price for our sin. Isn't that incredible? That's the best message we could ever share with people. The best way to, to overcome injustices in this world is to share the gospel of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy... Do you believe that, church? It says, For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Amen and amen and amen. I tell you what, that, that excites my soul to know that God in His mercy and in His, in His love, although He is a just God, demonstrates to us great mercy. So as Christians, yes, we must stand firmly for the moral absolutes of God's Word. But that also includes reject, rejecting the distortions of justice that are peddled out in various forms of social justice in this world. And so while we stand for true justice, biblical justice, we also stand for true biblical mercy. And that includes sharing the message of the gospel. 
And there's no greater need in this world than to be able to see someone bow their head and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus asked his disciples, what could be more valuable than a single soul? He said this in Matthew 16, 26. But what is a man profiteth if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? Listen, if we could help solve all the injustices of our day, and we could uh, uh, help the oppressed find relief in the moment, that's great. But if we do nothing to help their soul, it means absolutely nothing in eternity. And so God said, listen, our job then, our, our responsibility, our call is to continue forward with the gospel, to share with people, listen, the real healer of broken hearts, the one that is able to, to solve all of society's ills is named Jesus Christ. It's no one else. It wasn't Martin Luther or anyone else. Jesus Christ and him alone is able to save, save people from their sins and bring healing to hearts. Listen, if we know who Christ if we know who Christ is, we can help someone else experience this righting of the wrong in their life. But if we fail to tell them, they're going to go straight to eternal damnation in the next life. And we've done them a great injustice. So let us continue to mercifully reach out with the gospel. You know, if, if I could put it like this, if we talk in medical terms, it's a little easier to understand what, it, what the concept here is. Because if a person had the cure from cancer, and you're talking to the doctor, and he knew how to heal your cancer, and he's sitting there in the room with you, and he never opens your mind, his mouth and says, Hey, I know how to heal your cancer. I know how you can get well. Would that be, would that be an injustice or not? Absolutely. We'd say yes. We know who Christ is. We know the answer for sin, which is far worse than any kind of cancer. And we have the answer for sin, which is also, by the way, the answer for our social problems today. I just wanted to say that. And yet sometimes we remain quiet. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. May we, like Paul, be able to say, Listen, I have to preach the gospel. I'm determined to make sure that I, I, I tell others about this wonderful news because a Christian who constantly discusses social causes, but they never talk about Jesus and the offer of the gospel is hypocritical. And so the best way to show mercy is to tell people that they are lost in their sin and there is a God that loves them enough to send their son to save them. A missionary was once called to address a large church in the United States during a missions minute. And so this was in the day of the Iranian hostage crisis. And since he only had been given a minute to speak to the people, he wanted to do something that would really make an impact. And so as he got up, he started with, how many of you today are praying for the 52 American hostages in Iran? And all across the congregation that morning, people raised their hands. Amen. He said, praise the Lord. He said, I'm, I'm grateful to hear that. Now, put your hands down. He said, let me ask you another question. He says, how many of you are praying for the 42 million Iranians being held hostage by Islam? And just four little hands went up. You see, the bigger injustice went unprayed for. And sometimes we're quick to care about the injustices of this world, but we fail to seek the uh, answer for the greatest injustice of all of sin. And may we be willing to say, yes, God's called me. God's gifted me this opportunity to share the gospel. And this time, in this era, your neighbors are calling out for us to be able to say, listen, I have the answer to the problems you have in this life, and His name is Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go ye. Amen? 
yesterday we were able to uh, be there for uh, as they honored uh, John Quinlan, who was a missionary in the Philippines, and I was his uh, his director, uh, not director, but the field rep there for uh, for him and Pam and. And so we were able to be there with them, and it was just a special moment as they honored the Quinlan family for the memory of John. He succumbed to COVID back in September of 2021, and he was just a tremendous missionary. But the pastor then got up and preached this message, Go Ye. And I couldn't help but think the whole time I'm listening to this message, you know, this is the answer to all of society's problems. Go ye therefore and, all the, uh, and, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Listen, that's what God's called us, is to continue to share the hope of this world, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. That, folks, is mercy. That, folks, is the answer this world needs. Now, secondly, and I, I hope I have time for this tonight, but I'm not sure that I will. Uh, we'll get as far as we can, because I'm very cognizant of the time. Secondly, I want to remind you, God calls us to walk humbly. Remember, He said, do justly. Yes, we're supposed to uphold biblical justice. Love mercy in that, uh, in that same respect, and he calls us to walk humbly. Walk humbly. You see, the completeness of God's instruction through the prophet, prophet Micah is amazing here. Some people, in their emphasis of justice, they proudly enforce the law. And I'm thankful uh, for police officers. I have to say that now because we have a member of our church that's a police officer. Just giving you a hard time, my brother. But often we... Then there's others then on the opposite side, and they emphasize mercy, and they haughtily despise those enforcers. But Micah 6.8 brings it all together to this final instruction. Walk humbly with thy God. In both justice and mercy, mercy, we must act humbly. First off, there's this humility that we must have before God. In verses 6 through 7 uh, of Micah 6, these, there was a couple of questions about how to please God here. He said, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with the ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He says, what are these things? What, what ways will I be able to please God? But the answers in verse 8 are do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly reminds us not of the external uh, things, but of the internal things. And God, He's the one that sees our heart, and He, and he cares about those motives and that uh, ideals of the heart. And so the point wasn't that Old Testament sacrifices were irrelevant, but that without obedience from the heart, He says they were meaningless. And so let me ask you, folks, as we go forward, do we have humility before God? Is our heart right with the Lord? And so we can go on, uh, through a number of outward forms of religion. We can put on the right suit and the right tie, and we can uh, even demonstrate some caring for people, uh, even try to help with injustices. But if our hearts are not truly humble and truly surrendered to God, our actions are offensive to Him. He says in James 4, 6, But God giveth grace unto the humble. Excuse me, but He giveth more grace. Wherefore, He saith, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. What a needed thing today. God's not impressed by people who are consumed with demanding their rights, but He delights to give grace to others uh, who will serve others in humility and dependence upon Him. Listen, remember, humility does not mean giving up the right to justice, but it means employing justice and mercy both with an attitude of humility. And so if we get caught up in the anger and, and of the social justice system, we, must, we undermine our credibility as well to share the mercy of the gospel. 
Listen, but it's not just humility before God, but it also must be humility before others. So when we're walking with God, we're walking in humility. And I believe that this is, this is very important. Uh, and, and a matter of fact, as we see uh, in just a, just a few weeks, uh, we're going to begin a series on Sunday nights about the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, and, and we see not only are they eras, but we see these churches in, uh, the, uh, throughout the society today. And, and as we see this Laodicean church, this church that has just become apathetic, we see that arising uh, and is here even today in the time in which we leave, live. And I believe it stems because, back from the place that we no longer walk with God. Are we willing, church, to walk with God? Remember Susanna Wesley, I mentioned her Sunday and, and the two hours that she would spend in just private prayer. She had a household to run, uh, ministries no doubt that were demanding her attention. But those two hours of where she could just get alone with God. You see, if we never learn to walk with humility with God, we're never going to learn to walk with humility with others. If we never learn to walk with humility with God, we're never going to be able to walk with God. Let us walk in humility. And Paul instructs us to show this humility toward others as well. In Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know what he's saying? Listen, he says, allow yourself to be humble. Allow yourselves not to be humble before God, but before others as well. We're quick oftentimes. You ever notice this? We're quick to point out pride in, in the worldliness, the movements that are going on. But sometimes we're a little slower to see it in our own lives. It's easy for me to see it in someone else's life, but I have to allow the Lord to minister to my heart and show it to me in my own life. Pride can be revealed in our actions when we fail to give the gospel to someone uh, who lives in uh, maybe a very wicked lifestyle. Justice and mercy alone are not enough. It must also and, and require a life of humility to lead someone to Christ. So as servants of God then, God says we should be distinctly known for our humility. You know, the church, I, I believe that we should have that earmark of humility whenever we go about the, this world. And, and we, people see that in our willingness to serve and the willingness to love and the willingness to, to do this. But we also must take a strong stand in our world today. Not a, not a proud stand, a strong stand. Strong in the faith, as our theme is this year. And so our Christian heritage then is filled with men and women throughout history who've been so committed to Christ and to biblical truth that they were willing to give away their very lives for those beliefs. Let me talk about just a few of those tonight, if I can. The first one is a man named John Huss. Now, John Huss was, uh, lived from 1369 to 1415. And through stu studying of the Scripture, Huss, who was regarded as the forerunner of the Reformation, discovered that salvation is only possible through faith in Christ's payment for sin. And we, we agree with that today. And so with a strong biblical conv conviction, then Huss began to preach, and he, he preached compelling sermons against works-based salvation. Now, the Roman Catholic Church at the time saw this as a heresy, and they excommunicated him, and later called him before the, Constance, uh, the council in Constance, Germany, where he would stand trial. And then he was sentenced at that council to be burned alive at the stake July 6th, 1415. And as his executioners chained him there to the, to the stake and they urged him to recant his faith, he replied this. He said, No, what I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. What a great man of God. He said, Listen, I'm willing to die for what I believe. There's another one, William Tyndale, uh, 1494 to 1536. 
He set out with a singular goal. His desire was to translate the Bible into English so that common people could read for themselves what God had said. And so the king of England and the state church, obviously they didn't want this. They didn't want this translation because if, if people could read the Bible, then they would be able to discern and expose the false doctrine that was in the church and that was being preached from the pulpits of English churches during that time. And so Tyndale, he spent much of his adult life then desiring to translate the Bible into English, but at the same time, he was on the run uh, from the authorities, all while continuing his translation. Uh, even through exile, through cold, through hunger, he, he did it all at the entire time. Eventually, though, Tyndale was apprehended, he was tried, and then was executed. Well, just before he died, Tyndale, was, who was ever loyal to his country, but he was committed to his God, prayed this, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Four years later, Tyndale's translation, under another name, was published in England at the king's request. Now, what a blessing. These men said, listen, we believe in the Word of God, and we're going to stand humbly and boldly for Jesus Christ. A last one that I want to mention was named uh, Felix Mons, 1498 to 1527. Through studying the Scripture, amen, isn't that, see that, uh, that concerted theme here? Mons came to faith in Christ in Zurich, Switzerland. And, and through continued study, he came to the Baptist convictions of the believer's baptisms and a saved church membership, making him an Anabaptist. And so this title, Anabaptist, means rebaptizers because the belief in the believer's baptism meant that even those who'd been baptized as infants would be baptized by immersion after their profession of faith in Christ. And so because of man's beliefs or man's beliefs, he continued preaching, and, and he started Baptist churches all throughout Switzerland. Finally, he was arrested, he was imprisoned, and he was sentenced to death by drowning in the middle of Lake Zurich. Listen, these men, each of these, were willing to stand and say, Listen, we're going to stand for what we believe in. We're going to walk humbly with God. We're going to walk humbly before men. Their deaths didn't go with clenched fists and angry spirits. They went with humble prayers for God to save their oppressors. Like Stephen, like Christ on the cross, like many other Christians throughout, uh, throughout our time. Listen, uh, this is not a time where we see less martyrdom, but there's more martyrs today than ever before. And as we see these Christians willing to give their lives, oftentimes it's with that spirit of humility. Because the Bible commands us not to speak with anger, but to speak the truth with love and with the spirit of meekness. Look at these two verses in Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow open to him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Later in 2 Timothy verses two, uh, chapter 2, verse 25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. He said, listen, not with haughtiness or anger or any of those things, but instead holding a biblical position with, uh, with a humble spirit. That's what the message of the gospel is. You know, if we're ever going to be effective in reaching our world, we must come back to that. Preaching the truth of Christ with a humble spirit. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, unto death, even the death of the cross. We didn't see Christ lash out in anger. We saw him there on the cross with a spirit of humility. And so in the midst of a world marked with angry and hateful spirits, our humble spirits should set us apart for, for the purpose of humbly serving uh, the cause of Christ. And if we're to be the people who do justly, who love mercy, walk humbly with our God, we must be people who love the lost, who serve with compassion, and reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ.